wants to talk about William Nylander trending closer to the Leafs and Willie getting a deal done is what I hear. I've heard similar. And general feeling amongst, I think, both sides is they'd like to get it done before the NHL All-Star weekend. The other belief is that it will be uh, a number. 11.25 is the one that uh, is probably mentioned the most. Mm -hmm. Times eight. I think uh, that's the number, and either you like it or you don't. The, the other thing you got to consider, Sammy, is that when the Leafs can front load this and turn it into a, a 12 or 13 million dollar upfront signing bonus, it's it's worth more, a heck of a lot more than 11.25. It, it creates greater value in real money. For sure it does, but it also helps the Leaf down the road if you don't like the back end of the deal. The real money owed is so much less. I think there's a chance it could happen this week. Um, I think the Maple Leafs have made it a priority. Uh, with all the talk about the goaltending and the defense with what they have to do, I think they've decided that getting Nylander done is their number one priority. I think they've been working hard at it for about three weeks now. And uh, I think there's a chance it could happen sooner as opposed to later. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brian Gunning. That was Nick Kierbrous. That was Elliot Friedman. That was Elliot Friedman in the intermission of a Toronto Maple Leafs 3-0 victory in L.A. against the Kings. Martin Jones with his 30th career shutout. There's, there's a lot of Leafs conversations to mm -hmm. be had today. Uh, Dennis Hill to be maybe getting a start tonight as the Leafs play back-to-backs against the Ducks tonight. William Nylander... After Nick Kipper was on Real Kipper and Born mm -hmm. reports the potential extension upcoming and Elliot Friedman later on saying, like, maybe this week, but certainly <laughs> it's it feels like before the All-Star game, which is happening here in the city of Toronto, which is what Nick Kipper has reported, and that happening early February. Mm -hmm. After that, all William Nylander did was go out and play 20-plus uh, minutes uh, and score two goals including one into an empty net, but uh, one with a great assist by mm -hmm. Tyler Bertuzzi behind the net. And here we are, like a couple of very, very important signings that appear to be on the verge of happening. One was Austin Matthews, which mm -hmm. was like entirely drama-free. Yep. And, and pretty much what we all People expected. tried. They tried. Yeah, it just like it never quite happened. Uh, that there was a, anything other than Austin Matthews putting pen to paper on an extension with this this Leafs team. And then this, which it felt like, boy, this is going to be tough to, to to gauge whether or not this happens. Again, it, nothing's been done, mm -hmm. but the reporting is all there by some of the best people in the insider game, Nick Caprios and Elliot Friedman. Are you surprised that we're headed towards a couple of like pretty, all right, wipe your hands clean, signings here for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'll admit I've always, the whole time, I've expected Nylander to end back with the Leafs, but, and again, just we should reiterate this because people are waking up this morning. Nothing has happened. There have been reports that things are trending in that direction. There could be something as soon as this week, potentially before the All-Star break, but as of now, we're still in the exact same place we were two days ago with William Nylander where he is looking for a contract extension. I always expected it to play out into free agency, have a look around, meet with teams. It would be super uneasy for the Leafs, but that is how I expected it to play out. I am a little surprised if it gets done in season, but it goes to the conversation we had earlier in the show. If they're going to give you more or less what you want, and, you know, could he get 12 
12-5 on the open market? Probably. I would imagine that'd be there from some team. Now, it's not going to be Toronto, obviously. It's not going to be probably a team that's ready to win anytime soon. Yeah, Chicago I would, maybe right? next to uh, Connor Bedard. Yeah, and like that's not... That's not without its merits, that yeah. one specific a scenario, market. a real hockey market. It's not the Sharks that we always joke about. If I can go have his 14 there, he could do what John Tavares didn't. So I'm surprised if it ends up happening in season, but I won't be surprised that he ultimately ends up here. And the other part of it as well is the the money. If it's, you know, if this was 10-5 we were hearing bandied about, I think people are running to Mike's to congratulate Brad for living before the contract is even signed. But eleven two five, I think we all look at it and go, okay, it's cost of doing business. If yeah. it's eight years, we, we like that. Yeah. And then that, then we move on from there. Yeah. So there's, I, I was thinking about this element of it mm. that you can maybe point back to the more than a half decade of playoff failures with this team and this core and 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 point to the fact that, hey, they've been so comfortable. That's the reason why. Mm-hmm. Like, they haven't been pushed outside of their comfort zones. And maybe, maybe there's some merit to that. Like, maybe if, if there was a real discussion about breaking up the core at the end of these seasons instead of, like, Kyle Dubas finally, before mm-hmm. he was fired, saying, you know what? Maybe, like, we actually do need to revisit this. We better fire that guy. He's going to break up the car. Get him out of here. <laughs> Maybe that retroactively changes the results in the postseason. Maybe. Maybe not. But the other side of this is that you do get guys that don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. And, again, like, you can make the negative side argument to this. It's like, maybe you guys should have left. Like, maybe maybe I would have been better off if, in fact, you didn't have the core four around for forever and mm-hmm. – like we were talking about with Gord Stelic earlier, if William Nylander signs this thing, you got to think for at least the first half of it, there's going to be pretty stringent no-move clause. For sure. And Mitch Marner, despite the fact that he is an extension that is coming to him at some point next season, you would think that's the last year of his deal. He's got a no-move clause. Austin Matthews obviously not going anywhere. Obviously, John Tavares is not going anywhere, headed into the last year of that $11 million mm-hmm. deal. That uh, Morgan Riley also not going anywhere because he has a no-move clause. Yeah, but also he's... He's paid appropriately. Yeah, like, no, yeah. I'm just, but to the idea of yeah, comfortability, know, everybody being about, here. Yeah, I know, the he's, the, he's the longest guy serving on the team. How <laughs> dare he wear guy, any of it? And he's the only guy until William Nylander does it that yeah. has signed the full eight-year yeah. extension with the Leafs. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, with the comfort and the maybe the failing and the postseason that being correlated, you do have guys in Austin Matthews, mm-hmm. drama-free in the offseason, Loves the market, loves the ecosystem that surrounds him mm-hmm. in being a Toronto Maple Leaf. William Nylander loves being a Toronto Maple Leaf. Now, at, at that number, is not a discount, but eight years is, it does change the equation a mm-hmm. little bit for me. So I do think about the the comfort, and, and if you're going to be an optimist about how comfortable some of these star players have been over the last half decade plus, I would point to the fact that they've been more than willing to remain members of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, they're obviously comfortable here. It's just the it's the double-edged sword, and I think that whatever side of the coin you fall on, you can point to it and say, what about you? Are you not better in your life? Are you not more, when you're more comfortable, when you're locked into a work routine or whatever works in your life, do you not feel like you perform better? I think a lot of people would say, yeah, I do, but there's also the idea of you need there to be the pressure of consequence, and you know, that's the part that I always, in the heat of the moment, I, after the playoff loss, I am always going, these guys need to feel the heat Guess what? They want to win the Stanley Cup just as bad, uh, probably infinitely more than I want them to win the Stanley Cup. Like I do, I do think that. So I just, when I look at the idea of comfortability and pressure, I think 
especially, and I do think there is some element to this that, you know, when Babcock got fired, you know, maybe it's a little overstated how much they all hated him or didn't like him, but I don't think anybody was was crying in the room when, when Babcock got fired and Sheldon Keefe came aboard. I think it was a real shock to the system when Cal Dubas was no longer the general manager. And we always talked about the idea of one of the players needed to go to prove to them that, hey, if there are not results, there will be a price to pay. And maybe, maybe this is the best of both worlds where you are able to keep the players that you like intact. Because again, to a man, you know, I don't think anybody looks at William Nylander and says he is the problem. You know, maybe people say that about Tavares cap hit, but none of those guys are the issue, I don't think, when it comes to playoff time. It's been saves. It's been depth goaltending. It's been depth scoring. Some of those guys you'd want a little more from, but I don't look at them as the reason they've lost series. I mean, maybe in the five games and getting no goals from them uh, against the Panthers last last season. Yeah, but I when you look at that, I look at that as a I look at that as an entire team failing. Those guys, they absolutely wear it and they make the most money. They're the leadership group. They're the ones we talk about. But that wasn't that wasn't a case of the rest of the team being more than ready and those guys just completely falling around them. I look at it as that second period, the start of it, and it kind of all got undone there. So what I what I keep coming back to though is the idea that. You might have got the best of both worlds of Kyle Dubas leaving. You get a you get true living in here, and I don't even necessarily believe this, but I think there is some element of they saw the price that will be paid mm. if there isn't success, but they all still get to play together. Yeah, okay. Somebody else. Hey, somebody there's else. consequences. Somebody else yeah. gets fired. Yeah, and it's going to be Sheldon Keefe if it if it doesn't Almost happen certainly. for this team in the postseason this year. And it does seem that that say you're already you're hiring Brendan Moore yesterday. I, Again, like, who could disagree with me? Like, who's not making that trade right now? One for one. No offense, Sheldon Keefe, but, like, Rod Brindamore for Sheldon Keefe. You're making that trade, right? I, I would Oh, think, you're hesitating. Here's why I'm hesitant. It's Rod Brindamore has played in massive moments. You know, Stanley Cups, all that stuff. It's a different animal being, you know, the head honcho in Carolina where he has the say of everything. And, you know, not that Dundon doesn't have his fingerprints in there. Of course, he owns the team. But that's Rod Brindamore's show. And one, wouldn't be that if he came to Toronto. Brandon Shanahan, like, it's still Brandon Shanahan's show. It's still the Shanna plan. And two, you know, I'm not going to pretend to have sifted through every Rod Brindamore scrum and not say that this can't happen, but we've, how many times we've seen Sheldon Keefe and making a comment and it gets construed the wrong way or the right way, but somebody didn't want it to be construed that way and it turns into a six-day news cycle. It's just very different doing all of that, what he's done, a remarkable job of it in Carolina than it is in Toronto. I'd even feel differently about it if he was a player in a, and not that he only played in Carolina. I know he was in different markets as well, but his success, most of it came there. I'd even feel differently about it if he was a Ranger as a player or something along those lines. I, so I'm not saying that I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but Flyers I do not have, doing it for you. Nah, it's, it, it, he, where he had his most success was in Carolina. And yes, he was a good flyer. He had a long, long run there. I just think he is so far removed from that playing experience there. That is the where the only area it would give me pause. Not saying I wouldn't do it. Not saying that he's not the better coach. I think the track record you've seen is there. But I also think that you cannot poo-poo the reps that Sheldon Keefe has got. Not being an NHL head coach, but being the Leafs head coach. I feel like this has gotten away from... Very much so. <laughs> 
my personal feelings even about Sheldon Keefe, where I think he's done a tremendous mm-hmm. job, and I feel like his should say the, the often, job yeah. he's done this season has been underrated. Again, we just had a conversation about it. Simon Benoit being in the top four and Martin Jones being this this team's number one goalie. They mm-hmm. came up with a three nothing victory on the road yesterday in Certainly LA. Didn't get out coached no. uh, <laughs> against the Kings, and yeah. Despite having Phil Deneau on the other side of, uh, mm-hmm. of the equation, they were able to somehow sneak some pucks uh, into the back of the net and past Cam Talbot. I think he's done a good job, uh, especially considering the circumstances. Now, it is interesting. Like, Simon Benoit is in the top four. Mm-hmm. And we just talked to Jason Buchel. It was like, yeah, man, if I was prioritizing things, it wouldn't be defense right now. It would be a goalie. We just heard Elliot Friedman in the intermission talking about, hey, the priority – Okay, and maybe part of it is just timing. It's yeah. literally not the trade deadline right now, but it's, hey, it's it's William Nylander getting pen to paper on that extension as opposed to attacking the trade market when it comes to, to blue liners mm-hmm. or or goaltenders. I mean, where where is your mind at when you, you, you hear, well, one, a report of the priority being signing William Nylander and not necessarily... The trade market, and two, a guy who would know, and Jason Buchel is saying, hey, I'm, I'm actually kind of okay with the blue line right now. And Simon Benoit, I mean, people are pounding the table for an extension now. Mm, okay, I don't know that people are going that far. I think, uh, you know, as much as I'm sure Nylander is the priority right now, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think Brad Treliving sleeps for eight hours a day and then spends every other waking moment on the phone with Lewis Gross, who is, I think, William Nylander's agent. I don't I don't think that's how that contract negotiation is working, or else it either you better... You can do other things, well, is what you're saying. Yeah, you can maybe... You could maybe even call another GM uh, about a trade. Oh. You could do... Yeah, I know, Wild idea. I mean, we know Kyle, maybe at the same time too. Like well, I've we, seen Moneyball and Kyle like Billy Dubis, Beans. Like, Kyle oh, Dubas oh, yeah. has had the two yeah, phones. Yeah. It's like the guy here has done it. So yeah. you, that's at least the bar. The reason why I still think I'm much more, I'd be much more, I'd be much happier with a defenseman trade, and I think it is more likely, is that there's a middle ground that you can shop in. I don't see the point in the Leafs going out. No. And we, we laid out the guys yesterday. You're no, Kevin Lankinen's, you're whoever, you're Anthony Stolars with the Flyers. If you're going to make a goalie trade, it's for Soros or, some, or somebody of that level. And I just don't think he's ready to swing that way for this team yet. So I think it's way more likely that you are looking at a team and maybe you feel differently that you don't need to get four more defenseman pieces, but I think you just have such a wider net you can cast in terms of searching for defensemen. Whereas for goalie, what are we doing unless you're trading for kind of the one guy that's available in Soros? And hey, there's always there's always goalies out there, or not goalies, there's always trades made that we don't expect. So it's not that he's the only guy, but in terms of capable goalies that are actual difference makers, that number is so small. The number who are on teams that would be willing to let them go even more minuscule, that's kind of the only guy. 100%. Here's here's the only I agree with you. Yes. Here's, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you know what I just noticed? I was like, my microphone sounds a little bit weird today. I have it tilted in the wrong direction. Doesn't that sound different? Yeah, that's how, some... how did nobody mention this to I me? I gotta be honest. This is like the with the final 45 minutes of a three-hour show. I'm mad that the guy, you know what? I'm gonna go off mic to give him a glare for a second here. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I had half a mind in the break say, what's going on? The audio sounds weird. It's on me. Yeah. I was speaking to the wrong end of the microphone. Yeah, I'm mostly, I'm I'm most <laughs> mad at you, then, then Azo, then myself, then uh-huh. Santos. Here's here's the argument for going after a goaltender, but generally I agree with you. Like, mm. there's no difference makers out there. They're all 
They're all the same guy. They're all Martin Jones. Thing is, you need another Martin Jones. Like, mm. if Martin Jones was just sitting there in the AHL to potentially back up Martin Jones, or it's like Martin <laughs> Jones and Martin Jones as the two NHL goaltenders. <laughs> problem is, you're a Martin Jones injury away from Dennis Hill to be right. your number one for a month and a half. Yeah. Or, God forbid, you know, Joseph Wall returns and then Martin Jones goes down. Or or Joseph Wall's not able to return fully. I mean, like Jason Bugala says, like, is is not a fully formed version of himself or reinterested. Like that's it's the 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 multiple bullets in the chamber thing, right? It's not somebody that's gonna supplant Martin Jones as the yeah. number one. It's just another backup line. You need you need more NHL caliber goaltending below the surface, which you had in Martin Jones, which was brilliant at the time, and even more brilliant in hindsight that now mm -hmm. he's starting games for you. You just need Another one of those guys, because now you're uh, you better hope that Martin, you better be protecting him at all costs, and and not that he's gonna potentially start in the back end of back to backs tonight in Anaheim and it, it turned to dust. Right. But like, it can't be a zero percent part of your thinking that you have to protect the health of Martin Jones at all costs, because you are one hundred percent screwed if like your <laughs> NHL goaltending tandem is Dennis Hildeby and Keith Petrozelli. Yeah, uh, Keith Petrozelli, who, uh, you know, again, Keith talking a little bit about uh, who they'll go with tonight post game. He did make some comments saying that they are op or they're hopeful to get him some work at this level. Those are different comments than they made about Keith Petrozelli. And I, I do want Jones in the net tonight. I liked how he looked last night. I disagree with you and Gord. It pains me to disagree with Gord. Very happy to disagree with you. So mm. I'm, I'm kind of 50, 50 on that. But I think that the way he looked last night, relatively light night, light travel back to back, all of that, uh, I would give him the net, but if you're going to go with Hildeby, I think a massive reason for it, it can't, not to say it can't be dispelled Jones. I think that can be part of the decision, but the bigger overriding thing should be, what exactly do we have here? Is there something in play with Hildeby where not that he is part of the actual equation, but he's part of the safety net that you just talked about there, saving yourself from going to make a, you know, not that he's this guy this year, but your David Riddich trade from a mm. few years ago. That is the reason why it'd be most wanting him to get in the net because you want to see what do you have here because I don't think anybody is going to talk themselves into the Hildebeest being being part of this conversation Why not? this year. I I, I, I don't discount that possibility. I don't think it's likely. Okay. I don't I mean who's to say that Dennis Hildeby at six foot seven with a nine nineteen AHL save percentage this year can't be the equivalent of Martin Jones, who hasn't had a more than 900 save percentage in the NHL since 1718. Like, why can't he do a Martin Jones equivalent? I'm not like, it's also Martin Jones. I get it. He's been yeah, saying like, yeah. but like the bar is, is not be a, a guy. And I know this is stupid yeah, yeah. coming off a shut up, but yeah. like you did shut everybody out mm -hmm. nightly. It's not to be the worst goalie in franchise history, which Ilya Samsonov is on pace to do. <laughs> Right, like it's, and even Ilya Samsonov with that eight sixty save Winning percentage, record. like did not lose in regulation at home this season. The bar is not like astronomically high. So yeah, do I think Dennis Hildeby is capable of doing? I I don't discount the possibility. That's part of the reason I would like to see him tonight as well against a team that's 29th in the NHL and goals four per game. I think that's the other part of it is that you can you can talk yourself into that meaning everything or nothing, right? Because if he plays well against a Ducks team that provides no sure. chance, would you say, oh, what, what's that? What are we, what are we yeah, looking but that, at But here? that's, I, the bar is low, yeah. right? Like, no, I, I, I don't, 
I don't view it that way. Like, I think if he plays well and allows one or two goals or, God forbid, back-to-back shutouts against the Ducks, it'd be like, I don't care that the Ducks stink and can't score. Like, that's well done. Yeah. Congratulations. You didn't throw up on yourself because that's the bar. Ilya Samsonov, on a daily basis, was there's vomit all over his jersey. Like, yep. just don't do that. It's true. Don't do that. I do still want Jones in net tonight, but I wouldn't be upset if they, if they go hill to be at all. And I just, I think that... I, I almost think you want to reward Jones as well. I'd feel maybe slightly differently about this if it wasn't the California trip. It's like he knows these teams so well. He's mm. so comfortable in all of those buildings. And I think there's definitely something to that as well. If this was a trip through Minnesota, Chicago, and I don't know, geography, whoever else is poking around there, then maybe you'd feel differently about it. But I think there is something about that Pacific Division magic or whatever. Goaltending's voodoo. If you can't look at that stuff mm. with that position, you never can no, give me the hill to beast. Okay. I want to see him. All right. Uh, I want to get to this b- before yes. we move on. I, mean, you know. I don't think Doug Smith would have a lot to say on it, although you never know. Um, Capitals pens yesterday in Pittsburgh. Oh, and it was a great game. Young again. Yes. Like after, after the Caps get out, out to a, a 4 nothing lead, pens fight all the way back, make it 4-3. Uh, and both Sid and Ovi score in the hockey game, which is notable Vin- for Ovi. Vintage Ovi goal. Yeah. and uh, Looking like Cody Franzen <laughs> sifting a wrister through from the right side. Uh, <laughs> and vintage Sid goal on the power play, like just battling, going down to one oh, knee great. and then batting the, tr- the, the puck out of That was the Joe Bowen call uh, for the goal against the Hurricanes. Don't tell me about heart and <laughs> dedication and power. That was that Crosby goal. Anyways, those guys, they they exemplify a generation of National Hockey League hockey. They were used to market the game. They played so often against mm-hmm. each other in the same division, met four times in the postseason. Dueling hat-tricks. And, and they were, until Ovi got his, it was the the face of, like, goal scoring and, and statistical output versus the winner guy. And now, you know, you can have a legitimate conversation about the, the careers of both. It's 3-1 in Stanley Cups, right? Like, it's not, not totally disparate. No. Um, I mean, I'll take Sid, but, yeah. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> But anyways, those were the two biggest individual rivals in the sport. Those guys were headline items. And when they met, it and including yesterday, game that was on Sportsnet, that is still big news. We're running out of time, though. And it, it man, hopefully Ovi can resurrect himself as he's still on pace for fewer than 20 goals this season. But, yeah, we're staring down the barrel of the mm-hmm. end of things, even though Sid is uh, on pace for more than 50 goals this season. Like what? What is next up for this league when it comes to just individual player matchups? Like we can talk about team stuff, yep. and there was that too, right? Again, they met. Yeah, those individuals met in the postseason four times, but it was about those teams mm-hmm. and and what it meant. But like, what's what's next up when those guys are gone? It's kind of funny, right? Crosby's had a couple of those. Obviously, the Ovechkin rivalry and Caps Pens is what's bled through the entirety of his career. But the back-to-back Cup Finals against the Wings early on in his career, like just an incredible, you know, matchup that you think of, and we don't see that anymore. Teams rarely able to kind of get back to the mountaintop twice. It felt like for five minutes we were getting it with Matthews and McDavid, and boy, God. The- the rejoicing in this building if we ever got them in a playoff series because what it would mean. But well, they're in a cup final. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. But the individual players that you feel like match up against one another, they play each other so seldomly. I mean, I, does it ever feel like, is it exciting when the Oilers and Avalanche play each other? Yeah, that's a good game. It's on the schedule. But I don't think we look at it as McKinnon 
versus McDavid. Yeah. You know, we've done the McKinnon-Sid thing, but that's not a rivalry. It's no. they love each other and it's respect. And I think that's where Sidney Crosby might finish his career to go chase a cup or two. So I could, like, I can, I when you look at the rivalry, there just is not the individual one. Jordan Bennington hates half the league. There are tough guys that hate each other. And, hey, that's fun. Like, remember when Wi-Fi and, and Reeves fought in the first mm. game of the year? And he said, oh, it's going to be great, the battle for the Atlantic heavyweight. And then Luchish isn't on Boston anymore and Reeves is hurt. Like, those are the type of rivalries we get. But the idea of... But that didn't exist no. with Sid and Ovi. I mean, like, they both have physical elements to their yeah. game. But it wasn't just like... I, and there were occasional, like, hints that there was, like, some real animus. Mm -hmm. it, since then, we've seen them come together. and. Yeah. Like there, buddy, buddy ish. ish. But, but yeah, it's it, th that's not even part of it. But it was, you know, a couple of first overall selections, guys that are in the Hart Trophy conversation each and every year. That's why the the Matthews McDavid thing makes the most yeah. sense. It's just impossible when they're only playing each other twice a year. Yeah, and you, you know, that's why the Canadian division, it definitely felt like more of a thing there. We always talk about it, how fondly it was when the Leafs went in Edmonton and shut them out with the three different goalies and that's it. You get it twice a year and it's special. When McDavid comes to town, it's special. And it would be special if Moss and Matthews wasn't here and the Leafs stunk. It would still be a thing for McDavid coming to town. But those two do, it, it feels to me, and maybe it's just because we're local, but I also do think it's the closest guy in the league that has a rivalry well, with talking, another star player. Like We're talking you, about the last two Hart Trophy winners yeah. too. Yeah, and you know, like look around the league. There's not even the... You know, like, it, there's no rivalry between Makar and Fox or something like mm -hmm. that. Like, you're thinking of, like, similar players. And Crosby and Ovechkin weren't similar. I mean, obviously, they were both, like, stalwarts and MVP guys. But in terms of personalities and what they stood for and nationality and everything, mm -hmm. polar opposites. Maybe that's part of the problem is that we don't have as much of the kind of, like, polar opposites as much anymore. There's no, so but, much of a hockey there factory. Is, uh, there's a little bit of that, though, with McDavid and Matthews. Yeah, and, like, okay, that, that's, that's why they compare, like, back, like, yeah. First overall selections, one guy is the point producer, and I know he scored 64 goals last year as well, but, like, one guy is just, like, the overall dynamo yeah. does it with pure speed. The other guy is more of a Power sniper. Forward, yeah. yeah. No, they're, they're, it makes sense. Like, I swear to God, like, if, <laughs> if Connor McDavid was in the Atlantic division, that would be it. And it is it, but you only get it twice a year. It's Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. Like, if you're just going to go, again, not animus stuff, like... Not Can, just physicality, okay. but like just the the reason why Sid and Ovi were Sid and Ovi is because yeah. first overall picks, same vintage, different styles yeah. of game a little bit. Uh, I, I think all that could exist between Matthews and McDavid. And you need it to be sold a bit as well. I do wonder. I don't I want to be clear. I don't think this will ever be a thing. But do we get it a bit with the Connors? They're both going to be in the West. Mm -hmm. Bedard's team stinks Maybe. right now, but no, if they become good, they will try to. Not exactly the same vintage. That's yeah. the, That would be the argument against it. For that, sure. That uh, Bedard is now significantly younger than yep. uh, McDavid, where it's not like, yeah, Sinovi yeah, one year the apart. exact yeah. same. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, it's just tough to envision, and it's, it's sad because I do think, unfortunately, we always talk about growing the game and selling the game. I still think an individual rivalry. Like, look, if we ever get Wings Avalanche again, guess what? That'll sell, okay? Mm -hmm. That ain't happening. Any. I wish I was wrong about it, but mm -hmm. that's not happening anytime soon. The best thing you're going to get to sell it to America, because let's be honest, that's what I'm talking about here anyways, yeah. is star A for star B 
and there just aren't guys. And the other part about it is both those guys are in Canada. Let's say they yeah. were both in the Atlantic division. They're both in Canada and it's just not going to translate the way it would if Gretzky in LA or, you know, Sid Novi in America as well. Wait, it's not wild jets and like Cole Perfetti and Ryan Hartman. It is not. Oh, it is not. Okay. All right. When we come back, uh, it's it's not John Moran and R.J. Barrett as far as individual rivalries either, despite the fact they were selected right after each other in the 2019 NBA yep. draft. But uh, tonight it will be as uh, the Raptors make a uh, trip to Memphis to start a six-game road trip. We'll talk to Doug Smith, the Toronto Star, next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sports 10, 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. New year, new Raptors. R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. Part of a Raptors victory over the Cleveland Cavaliers a couple of days ago. Game two of the new era of Raptors basketball goes tonight in Memphis against the Grizzlies team that just took care of uh, Wemby and the Spurs yesterday. I plan on the back half of back-to-backs. Let's talk to Doug Smith, the Toronto Star. How's it going, Doug? Not bad, Ben. How are you doing? Doing all right. So early yeah, returns, uh, Doug, like it wasn't a Picasso a, a, against the Cavs and a, a shorthanded Cavs team, I should add, um, but one that's that's uh, fared pretty well without uh, some notable players in the lineup this season. Uh, they got the victory. Um Early returns, do you think this is going to work, this this new era of Raptors basketball? Yeah, I think for a couple of reasons, Ben. I think they're going to play a little bit a little bit faster. I mean, quickly is a very, very good uh, breakdown defense kind of guard, and he's a better shooter than they've had. I think that's a big addition. But I think what it does, for the short term at least, until they do something else, it evens out the two units. you got a good starting group now when you put Barrett and quickly in there. And I think having Gary Trent Jr. and Dennis Schroeder coming off the bench sort of boosts that up, too. So you've got those two, Chris Boucher and whoever Mr. X is for that fourth spot night to night. There's more balance there. And I think that's going to be a key as the games pile up. They play like they're on a six-game road trip now in 11 days. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of games coming awful fast. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's a good way to look at it. You know, I think a lot of people have have wondered what this will do for Scotty Barnes. The the question I actually have is what this will do for Pascal Siakam. It's been an awkward year for him. There have certainly been nights where he's popped off, but more nights than not, it's been kind of less than what you maybe would expect for him. What do you think the the trade and the new pieces coming in does to uh, Pascal Siakam and the version of him you're going to get going forward? Well, I think it gives him another guy to pass the ball to who's going to get us this up. Like he's obviously shown himself to be a very willing and capable passer. Now he's got two other scorers out there with him. I think you know. I think he's gonna. He could probably thrive in this. And I get that he's had some games that haven't been great. But the question, if the question going into the season was, could he and Barnes exist together? I think the answer is yes. That's not putting up great numbers. Barnes is having a breakthrough here. The team isn't winning, but I don't think it's their fault. And so I think that question has been answered. Pascal, he's going to adapt to whatever he has to adapt to on the team. But he's going to get his. He had, what, 35 the other night? Yeah. At 35 the other night in Detroit, too? Like, he's got – he's getting his, and Barnes is also getting his. So I think that, that question has been answered. Now, what they do with Pascal on a trade and what they can get for him if they want to do something in February, whether they extend him in the summer, that's all in the future. I don't know. I think there's options out there, and they're going to have to consider them. But I don't – think there's a huge question that whether he can exist on this team and let Barnes thrive too. 
Do you think the the die is already cast as far as his future with this team? Or they is do you feel like Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster are using the next month or so to evaluate the fit, especially considering the 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 Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett additions? Oh, I don't think there's. I don't think any of them decided. I think the next month or three and a half weeks is going to be very important because offers will get better as the deadline gets closer, as they always do. Other teams that that want Siakam, like Atlanta, I heard. Indiana, we've heard. Who knows what Sacramento might want to do. There's a bunch of teams out there that would be interested in Siakam. But I think the Raptors, he's a, he's a two-time All-NBA guy who gets you 25-7-7. and seven. They don't have, There's not a lot of those guys out there. And if you're going to deal him, you've got to make sure you get a pretty darn good package back. Or else you've got to pay him and bring him back and, and go with that. That's your team. And I don't think they've made that decision yet. And I think the next month or the next three and a half weeks or so is going to be pretty important in that regard. Yeah, it certainly will. And it'll be interesting to see how all the pieces fit together. And, you know, I think it was just so badly needed for the, you know, maybe the players weren't feeling this, but I know I was having the same conversation about this team for the better part of a year and a half. It just felt like there was this weight kind of hanging over the team of, is there a Siakam trade? Is there an Ananobi trade? Do you think there's some element that now this group can just kind of exhale? And again, not to say that there isn't another big shoe potentially to drop here, but it felt like this ax has almost been kind of hanging over the team. Do you think that this does anything to allow them to just kind of play a touch more freely without worrying about what could become Every every single day, I think there's a lot of that in that in what happened on Saturday for sure. I don't think this is the Rudy Gay trade. I don't think right. they. That, I don't think it's going to be that significant. But there is a different attitude. I think we felt it on Monday. There's a different kind of feeling around there. And again, it was one night, and everybody was on riding emotions and adrenaline and RJ playing at home and Quickly's mm-hmm. really quick, Quickly's really happy guy. I like to. I want to see what this road trip's like and how they become a team if they can. Again, I don't think this is a Rudy Gay trade, but I do think it is a spark. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a big enough spark, whether it's a big enough spark, I don't know. And so they got, you know, they got to play some, this is a really tough trip. And Memphis is good with Morant. Sacramento's good. Lakers Clippers back to back. And then Utah when you're really tired at the end of the trip. So this is going to be very telling 10 days. Yeah, it is, and and you don't get the emotion of of the home crowd and and R.J. Barrett's uh, return to uh, the GTA and and everything that uh, comes with that. I mean, that being said, I mean how how impactful or or how much of a factor do you think it was that R.J. Barrett is is one of the Canadian stars in the NBA that that he was he was part of this trade. I mean, you also have to match salaries. I understand that, but like, how big a factor is it? that he is Canadian, do you think, in Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster's thinking about this thing? I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a thing at all. they got to get good players, and RJ's a good player, and that's why they got him, not because he's from Mississauga. I, that's a bit of a bonus, but the, the reason they got him in the trade is that they wanted him in the trade because he's a good NBA player, not because his dad runs Canada Basketball Senior Men's Program or he grew up here or the fans love him. Um, they they can't think like that, Bobby and Masai. They have to think talent as opposed to passport. And they always have, and they always should. And it goes back to, you know, it's been that way forever. The tokenism aspect of having a, Canadian, a good Canadian on the roster is a thing for the fans. It's not the thing for the management. 
So, having said that, feels pretty cool for the fans. Like, there have been Canadians on this oh, no team question. before. Corey Joseph, you know, we were looking at the list yesterday, him coming off of, I can't remember if it was fresh off a title, but coming here as a, a champion from the Spurs, that certainly had a lot of meaning, but this is far and away has the potential to be the most impactful Canadian. What do you think that would mean? Again, like, I, I'm with you. I, I think that... I think that they're obviously aware of it. They know he's Canadian. They oh, look sure, at it sure. as a, a plus for sure. I'm with you that they make that trade for R.J. Barrett if he's born in literally any other country in the world as well. But what do you think it does mean for the fan base and the feel around the team? Because quite honestly, like since the title season, it has not been all roses, kind of far from it. What, what do you think it does for, for them to have that that element of it, Doug? <laughs> I think, it's, I think it's really good for the young fans to see one of their own playing for the team here. And I think that's going to cause a little bit of a, uh, maybe more, maybe a, a bigger buzz with, with young players in Canada and fans. Um, this is maybe the next wave. You've had three waves with the Raptors. You've had the Stoudemire wave, you had the Vince wave, you had the Kyle Lowry championship wave. This may be the fourth. It, may, it might be time for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously all those guys that I just mentioned had a big impact on the game and the country and the city. And I think RJ will have that same kind of impact. He's a He's a grown-up. He's not like a young kid who's going to be succumb to the pressures of playing at home. Hell, hell, he played in New York City. Mm-hmm. Doesn't get more doesn't get more attention seeking than that. So I think he's going to be able to handle it. And I do think there are probably a bunch of 12, 13 year olds around the GTA who are going to look at, okay, hey, there's one of our own. Let's go try to be like him, playing for our hometown team. I he is by far the he's the best Canadian rapper of the eight. No, no question. And Corey was pretty good, but Corey was very much in a backup role here. Yeah, RJ RJ is going to be a key part of a team they think could be good in a couple of years. Yeah, he he is, and he's only twenty three years old, and he's a former third overall selection. And I I think by and large most Knicks fans enjoyed the RJ Barrett era. Um, he's he's only twenty three, but this is his fifth season in the NBA, and it, it hasn't been all roses for him, right? And especially you look at the three point shooting; it's been up and down throughout the course of his career. As far as the basketball component of R.J. Barrett, because I think I think Emmanuel quickly, everybody looks at that as like a seamless fit, and like obviously a guy that shoots forty percent from three and and is is kind of stuck um, behind some some good players in New York and maybe with an expanded role. That guy makes a ton of sense. I don't know. I, I'm, how do you feel about the basketball fit for R.J. Barrett? I think R.J. probably needed a new a new start, and I, I know his numbers sort of plateaued in New York for the last two three years, and he was at one point the shiny new toy of the Knicks. But then Julius Randle became that shiny new toy. And now Jalen Brunson is that shiny new toy. And I, I think it, I don't know if it wore on him. I think it limited his role with that team. I think they play slow and plotting and Thibodeau basketball. And I don't think that's the way RJ thrives. I think he plays better and is more impactful on a team that plays a bit up tempo, like the Raptors want to. I think there's a good basketball fit because I think it could rejuvenate RJ a little bit. And I asked him about that the other day. I asked him whether he needed a change. He didn't answer the question, which I think means, yes, I think I needed a change. <laughs> yeah, and this is, a, well, a, a different style than a Tom Thibodeau-led team, obviously, right? Um, despite sure. the fact that now <laughs> Pascal Siakam is playing 40 minutes a game, it turns out. Um, but, yeah, Darko Ryakovich is a guy that, that he came in here wanting to change the offensive philosophy, and by and large that has been something that's happened, that the ball has been shared a little bit. But I I do wonder what his role in all of this is to Doug, because this is a guy that, okay, didn't need to win right away when he stepped into the role, understanding 
that it, it was not a perfect fit um, for a team that won only 41 games a season ago and, and bowed out in the, in the play-in tournament. And this is, yeah, this is still a team that doesn't have championship aspirations, but obviously they want to win some basketball games with this trade. Does it change almost the immediate pressure on, on Darko to, to, to win some games with this basketball team? Yeah, there's that. No one likes being 13 and 20, and no one expected to be 13 and 20. And there's disappointment at that record, no up and down the organization. But I do think Darko, like you mentioned, Darko has the benefit of time, and he also has the benefit of being able to experiment a little bit. Mazai um, and Bobby both understand this is a young team. You don't know what the pieces fit. You're not sure exactly who's where. They know that the bench isn't good enough, and it's a little bit old, and it's a little bit weak in the front court. That's their job to address. So they're going to give the coach a little bit of time. They're going to give him a little bit of time to figure out who fits best. Like, he dusted off bad young in Detroit and against the Cavs. Well, yeah, we haven't seen that in a year. But I don't think we're going to see that next year. And you're not going to see Otto Porter next year. And you're probably not going to see a lot of guys next year. Um, so Darko has that time. But absolutely, they got to get back to 500. they got to start winning. they got to start beating the team they're supposed to beat. They can't lose to Detroit. They can't lose to Charlotte. They shouldn't lose a game to the Nets the rest of the way. They got to beat the team they got to beat. And they haven't done that consistently all year. Man, you mentioned that loss to Detroit. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's why they made the trade, but it was certainly a good way to paper over uh, that loss. Gave us something else to, to talk about. Pretty, pretty. <laughs> Timing is everything. Boy, is it uh, in life and a lot of things, and certainly in trades in the NBA. Uh, in terms of Scotty Barnes, we're, we're about halfway through his third season. Are we any closer to realizing what the best version of him looks like? Because all the conversations I've had through the first, again, th- two and a half years of Scotty Barnes' development is that the exciting and enticing thing, but also the thing that makes it a little harder to see the future for him is that you can close your eyes and see four or five different versions of Scotty Barnes as a fully formed player in terms of what he does best, what he is most often asked to do on a basketball court, you know, for a player like him, do we think we're any closer to, to kind of realizing what the fully formed version of him looks like, or do you still think there's, there's quite a few kind of question marks in that regard? I'm not sure. I don't know if question marks is the right phrase, but there are things that he has to do better and more consistently. Look, he's a, he's a really, really talented player. No question about it. Uh, like all kinds of skill set, but he has to figure out. He has to figure out what he is. And I, I get that he's turned into a very, very good three point shooter, basically out of nowhere. Yeah. But but that can't be his calling card. He's got to put people in the blender and punish them going to the rim. Because he's big, he's strong, good ball handler, good finisher at the rim. He's got all kinds of confidence, lefty, righty. That's got to be a major part of his game because that's what sets him apart. If they're going to play him at the guard and they're gonna, other teams are going to guard him with a little guy, he's got to punish him. He can't be taking 10 or 12 three-point shots a night, even though he's a 35 or 39% shooter now. Yeah. That's not his game. His game is beating guys up and taking them to the rim. Yeah, it, it does help though when you're shooting close to forty percent oh. from from three. It uh, does, but you get, it doesn't. It brings people up. They got to guard you, so you get by them. But you got to get by them. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, fifteen attempts from three against the Celtics is not necessarily the way you draw it up. But when you hit seven, it's hard to argue. Hundred uh, percent. That's the that's the tease. Yeah. The numbers are great, so you want them out there shooting it. Except you don't want them out there shooting it. Yep. Uh, Doug, always appreciate it. Thanks for this. All right, guys, take care. You too. There's uh, Doug Smith of the Toronto Star Raptors in Memphis against a Grizzlies team that just played yesterday 
and is a, a slight favorite. The Raptors trying to run their record to 2-0, and and if nothing else, are worth watching again for the first yes. time this season. Absolutely worth watching. Like, I'm geeked up to watch the Raptors and Grizzlies tonight. Yeah. I would have watched it out of obligation. You would have. Even before this, this trade. And it's you know, an hour before the Leaf game. It works out perfectly. Enough. But I would just, you know, I had to be in the the machine that keeps yeah. your eyes open a little Clockwork bit. Clockwork orange, baby. Yeah. Instead, I'm actually excited to watch the Raptors play basketball game tonight. I, I'll go one further. I wish the Leaf game started at 930 wow. so I could fully devote myself to most of the Raptors game, because let's be honest, once nine o'clock hits, like I'm keep tabs on wraps, but mm. we're gonna be switching to Leafs. That's what's gonna happen. Uh, Just being eight, honest, it's an eight o'clock start uh, tonight as well in Memphis. All right, so also happening today, actually in a matter of hours, mm-hmm. is Ross Atkins is going to make his presence known to the media for the first time all off season. Okay, Hold not, on, folks. Not all off season. They did speak after the debacle in Minnesota, but that was about the debacle in mm-hmm. Minnesota, right? Mark Shapiro spoke so af- well. after that and blah, 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 blah. This will be the first public comments from the Toronto Blue Jays since the Shohei Otani debacle. Yes. I know I've used debacle in a couple of different... Mm-hmm. It was a, it, it, there's a lot of debacles, okay, yeah. around the Toronto Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. And it does feel like a hundred years ago that that happened. Yep. But holy cow, did that captivate not just Blue Jays fans, not just sports fans, but citizens of the country of Canada. Shark Tank fans. And I wonder, I know like most of the conversation and the reason they're having this Mm -hmm. today is because Blue Jays finally did something. One of them was re-signing a guy who was good. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, on both sides of the ball last year in Kevin Kiermaier. Scored or drove in the run. That's right. And then Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who will the, both of those guys will also have separate media availabilities today on Zoom. But does I imagine someone will ask the question about Shohei Otani? What do you think the response will be from Ross Atkins? And what do you want it to be? How do you want the Shohei Otani of it all to be addressed today? I really appreciate that question. That is so great of you to bring that up and then talk in circles for it. There is nothing to be said. They are not going to sit there and, okay, now that it's dead and gone, let's open up the black book and show you exactly what happened and give you our, like, we're not not getting the Brendan Shanahan, here's my timeline of events from that today. The question will be asked. There will be words that are close to an answer given about it, but there's nothing to say. It's a free agent that did not sign here. We would all love the play-by-play. I would love to know the machinations inside the Blue Jays' front office on that fateful, fateful Friday. Would love to know. We're not going to find that out. So there's going to be a question asked. The answer is going to be so unpickable at that, there will be follow-ups, I'd imagine. There will be a couple questions on it. But when nothing is said and there's nothing to say about it, and especially we're now, what, three weeks, a month? Know, a 3,000 years. removed 3, from it. Years. That I think, of course, it has to be asked. Of course, it will be addressed. But whatever answer is given is going to be pretty much non-story. I mean, we, we've heard, not specifics, but... Farhan Zaidi said that the Giants were right there. They had the same offer as yeah. the Dodgers. You're allowed to say that. I, I think that's I, – I have largely moved on. Yeah. And largely my view of the entire situation is that, boy, this thing was never really that close. And yeah. As, I don't know if I'm going to be as cynical as to say that they were used as leverage, but, boy, I'm closer to that than, than they were ever really close. What I would like 
to know and what I would like to be addressed specifically, but that I know won't because it's Ross Atkins. But again, Farhan Saidi did it. You're mm-hmm. allowed to do it. It's to say at least explicitly, yeah, we, we would have given the exact deal to the Dodgers. Like the, the money was no object. Like this didn't come down to money. We didn't get outbid here. Like we would have done the same thing. He chose to go to the Dodgers, wish him well. And uh, we appreciate him listening to our pitch, but okay, we didn't lose out on Choi Otani because the Dodgers offered him more money. We were right there with them. He's going to say that in Ross Atkins. Like, he's going to say he's not, yeah, there are financial yeah. parameters that we were comfortable operating in that were very on board with what Choi... Like, you're going to get an answer that sounds like that's not an answer, but in Ross Atkins, here's that what, is. Here's what you can't say, though. It's like, oh, you know, we don't talk about our negotiations with players we didn't get. Like, you have to address it, like, at least... Like, you at least have to address it somewhat specifically. You might want to steal yourself for that exact answer because I think she's coming. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, this has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 Fan. Good, Good morning. morning.